Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thank you, Randy. Clap it up for Randy. Clap it up for Randy. And clap it up for the uh, tech team holding down early. Randy, you should have saw the cinematics that were going on. There was like this sunset, and your face was like the sun as it was like blending together. It was, it was class, as they say in Ireland. Um, good morning. As you can tell, I am not Sam. I tried my best to dress like Sam. No, I have my like. <laughs> if you couldn't tell what happened, you know, this is a printed shirt, a black Dodger hat, just so you wouldn't freak out completely. Um, and I, just to do some housekeeping, we are here. Genesis exists um, because of your, your offerings, your tithes, your generosity. And here are the ways you can give. Um, you can do Zelle, Venmo, old school, put an envelope, throw cash through the window, um, Bitcoin, whatever you got, um, we'll take it. And uh, a couple announcements. There's actually August 13th, we have a, like a local chef. He's a Filipino a fusion chef. He does like meal preps for people in, in Upland and around the area. He's going to be at Genesis Works. He's going to be doing like an 80s theme pop-up situation, which I think is really dope. So if you are interested, you can come see me or I'm going to post the um, flyer on the Genesis uh, Instagram or the Genesis Works Instagram. So. Um, so Sam asked me to, to speak in the beginning of the week and I was, it was, I immediately said yes, right? I was like, yeah. I'm going to do it. And then you ever say yes to something and then go home and immediately say, no, that was a bad idea because now I have to prepare. Now I have to read. Now I have to think about what it is I want to speak about. And he gave me like free reign. And I know there's a lot of artists in here. And when you have free reign, a, a blank canvas, that freedom is complete torture, you know? So um, it did that to me for, for a few hours. And so what I did was create a filter of, of what of what I wanted to speak through, and um, those filters included uh, being authentic. So I wanted to make whatever I speak about authentically me. I, it would be really easy for me to like, pretend like, to know what you guys wanted to see and like, be T.D. Jakes or Joel Olstein or Billy Graham, and I was like, no, it's a bad idea. Uh, number two, I wanted to represent where I was in my faith walk currently. Um, three, be creative and be dynamic. So I still, at that point, started dealing with like, like this imposter syndrome because there, for obvious reasons, I'm not a speaking pastor. I lead worship here sometimes. I'm a novice guitar player, you know. I tell uh, Gil to put Randy filters on my voice so that I could uh, sound a certain way. Um, but I was like thinking to myself, where could I lend my expertise? Where could I give you a nugget of who I am and then you take home and enter the world and use that and God could speak through me and um, we could use this to move to move ourselves into a, into a place, right? So the thing that I came up with is uh, storytelling. 
And I was here last night, I made this, so that you, I didn't even have to write, uh, watch me write it um, in front of you. But uh, storytelling has kind of taken over my life, and it is, came from my love of adventure. Um, as I started growing up, I started falling in love with language itself and, and creative writing. I, when I was around 19 years old, I started going to this place in L.A. called the Poetry Lounge. It's on Melrose and Fairfax at Melrose High School. Every Tuesday night, they would meet up, and it would be like about 150 people gathered up and be one mic, and they would tell stories uh, through spoken word and music, and I just fell in love with the art. You know, I was enamored by it, but I didn't share my art uh, maybe until two years going to this thing, and this was like an hour drive, uh, late night. We would be there till like one in the morning, and, I would, and it would be religious for me. Like it, would be, it was my church, you know, so um, that led me to opening my own venue in Ontario. Uh, that also led me to seeing... Uh, the United States from a stage. I got to, I got to visit just about every state, um, schools in every state. They, some people took an investment in me and uh, allowed me to speak um, at, at multiple venues. And uh, speaking of Billy Graham, I, I got to speak on TBN, so they put me on TV, which is a very strange thing. Uh, I spoke on TV One through Def Jam, uh, teaching. I started a, I started a program Ontario Montclair School District that still exists today, where poets, local poets, go in and teach kids um, creative writing and spoken word. And I think that's awesome. Right now, I still work for an organization called Shining Light, which is prison ministry through the arts. I teach the spoken word sector of that, and we um, go in and teach inmates arts. So, um, Also, the reason I'm part of Genesis is because Sam reached out to me because he knew I was running venues um, in the neighborhood, and he asked me to run a venue here in this very building, and we ran a venue called Grassroots. A lot of you came to that, and we used to just set up a mic right here, and it was trying to make it real dark and vibey, and, uh, and scared a lot of people away, you know? <laughs> so storytelling, uh, it goes back um, the hist- like beyond the Bible, right? Because it may- logically makes sense that stories had to have happened for stories to be told, right? Um, there's this really cool... In West Africa, there was these griots, and the griots were these storytellers that would go from tribe to tribe and entertain and tell stories about their tribe. And um, Dave Chappelle said something really cool about griots. He said, when a griot uh, dies, it's like a library burns. And I thought that was like a really beautiful thing, right? And I consider myself a griot in my family. I think it's essential that we um, continue to pass down our, our, our stories of our parents and their parents' stories. You know, Alex has a rich um, storytelling family, and, uh, and I can listen to it all day, even though they tell the same stories. And, but it's like, it, it's beautiful. I, I know them now. They're part of my stories. Um, I fell in love with stories from my mom and dad. They would read me bedtime stories. It's something I would ask for. Also, they would share stories about them growing up in the Philippines. Um, they're immigrants. I'm a first generation here. And um, I still remember all of those stories. Some of them are very, very creepy. Um, my mom did give me a gift when I was, when I was younger. He, she gave me this little yellow cassette tape, and then she gave me a bear. That when you put this bear, this tape inside of the back of the bear, the bear's mouth would move. His name is the bear is Teddy Ruxpin. Does anybody remember Teddy Ruxpin? Hey, you had Teddy Ruxpin? If you don't know, heaven, do you know this? Okay, Gil, could you please cue... Cue the uh, Teddy Ruxpin video. Show and tell time. Another teddy bear? My teddy's name is Teddy Ruxpin. He talks, he tells stories, he... Four bachelors not included. Hi, my name is Teddy Ruxpin. Can you and I be friends? Yeah. I really enjoy talking to people. <laughs> I would like... 
Teddy Ruxpin, the storytelling bear, comes with illustrated book and cassette from Worlds of Wonder. Do you see the sheer fear in the girl's eyes when he started talking? That was exact. If you wanted to scar a child, just uh, play Tom Sawyer, and then in the middle of the night, after you fall asleep, wake up to a talking bear. And that was exactly what happened to me every night. Tom Sawyer uh, like shaped my life. Mark Twain, as a writer, uh, made me appreciate what it was to storytell. And um, Teddy Ruxpin was the one that told me the story, right? It was the scariest bear I've ever seen in my life. Um, next, Disney. Obviously, uh, I remember kind of learning about storytelling through Disney, and then my favorite being Little Mermaid. Uh, I'll tell you why later. And then uh, Goosebumps. There were these novels, like, uh, they were like horror novels for children, right? And these things just give me nightmares. I was really attracted to the stories that would give me bad dreams. I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was a sickness. All right, so I'm going to plant foundation, and then we're going to get into some word, and then we go home and go to lunch. All right, first step, uh, storytelling 101. Every good story typically has these things. There's a setting, uh, time and location that takes place. That's easy. Characters, that's a little mermaid and flounder. Plot, the cause and effect that shape the story. Conflict um, is normally the hurdle or the mountain or the thing that the character is trying to get across. The theme is the main idea, and there's this cool thing called the narrative arc. Um, and this is the same thing we talk about when we're um, teaching stories. Uh, there's a setup, the rising tension, the climax, and then the resolution. And then somewhere in there, there's this really cool uh, thing. It doesn't need to be there. It doesn't need to be there. It doesn't need to be there. But it's called the inciting incident. Inciting incident is the part of the story where the character cannot go back. And every story has one. Sometimes the story has two. But I think it's a really beautiful thing because it helps, helps steer the boat. You know what I mean? Um, when sometimes I teach at... At elementary schools, for example, I, we try to make it really easy. We say, um, there's a lot of tools you can use to write your story, and here's the toolbox. So on this toolbox, I have metaphor, simile, alliteration, rhyme, there's personification, and you can go on. And whatever you're teaching that day, you say, we're just going to take something out of the toolbox, and then we're going to share it. So um, two easy ones are, are metaphors. It's like saying an example of a metaphor is an octopus. Uh, my mom is an octopus, right? So it's like taking something, an object, it's a figure of speech, taking the object and then relating it to something that wouldn't normally be associated with. That's easy. The very nuanced version of this, which is storytelling, the nuance, that's my um, subtitle. The nuance is like or as instead of is, right? So I would say my mom is like an octopus. And you would think to yourself, why is that important? Why is saying my mom is an octopus different than saying my mom is like an octopus? Um, and you would be surprised how many conversations I have with my students who are writing a poem where we're able to discuss this. And the importance is um, in exactly that, the nuance and the understanding of it. And let's, let's take that example. So we say, I, my student might say, Brian, I want to write, my mom is an octopus. And I said, why don't you want to write, my mom is like an octopus? She said, he says, well, I want my mom to be portrayed as someone doing multiple things rather than when they think about her, to think about her like a purple octopus, right? And I go, that makes complete sense to me. And there are two different things, there are two different uh, images that we want to portray. And this is kind of, um, take this and hold it, put it in your pocket because this is what we're going to do when we get into the word. Um, a really, really cool thing I, I learned in the same, taking the same sense or the same spirit of the nuance of simile and, metaf uh, simile and metaphor is this idea of how we can speak about God. Um, this is really cool, cataphatic and apophatic. In, in the beginning ages of 
the start of the church, uh, the fathers of the church, they, they used to argue about how to speak about God. It was like the Greek speaking East and the Hebrew speaking West. And they would argue like, how do we speak about God? What makes sense? What, what would honor God best? And um, the East came with this idea that we could actually come up with a system that honors God, that we can talk about God relationally. We can talk about God um, positively. So let's say God is, and this is the way that most of the Western evangelical church speaks about God. This is the way we speak about God. We say God is love. God is compassionate. God is giving. Um, we give God human traits because this is the way we understand. Um, there's another way, apophatic. This is a little bit more abstract. And it's saying God is not. And it's considered negative, not in a negative sense, but more negation or a good way to think about it is um, back in the day, you used to have film, and in film, they would have a negative, right? In the negative, you would be able to see the things more clearly that you weren't able to see in the actual picture. It would expose something that wasn't there before, right? So um, when you say some, uh, an example of apophatic language is God is not hate instead of saying God is love. And again, you might be saying, is this semantics? Is this this wordplay? Maybe. But think about the space that leaves when you say God is not hate. He's not only love. God is also and also, right? There's a really cool improv game. Um, and it's called and also. So sometimes you would go and uh, go to these improv classes and they would play a game that's, that's called and also. And it would be uh, two people speaking about a story. And I would say, um, I would say, heaven, heaven and I went to go, go to a fishing trip. And then heaven would say, and also we caught five fish. And I would say, and also we uh, bought Doritos. And we would do this until we got bored, right? And, and also is a game that basically um, acknowledges the thing that um, the other person is saying and adds to it. This is a conversation style that we're, I think we're lacking right now. Um, we want to give our opinion. We want to give what we think about it. Everybody else is wrong. What we know is right. And, and also causes us to listen to other people's um, opinion and move forward into a conversation. Though that's a silly one, it's a, it's a, it's a game. I, I think it's a really good practice to, to uh, think through, you know? So why is it important? Why do we speak in God in, in, in negatives? Why do we... Uh, Sam gave me a really cool video the other day, and he said an, a really cool example of apophatic language is God does not exist, right? He is the thing by, all, by which all things exist. And I was like, wow, how big... How big have we made, you know, how, how big could we talk about God? And neither of them are, are wrong. Neither of them are right. Um, they're both useful in understanding God. One can expand and the other could detract or vice versa. I played around with this and thought to myself, how could I describe somebody or something or God or my wife um, in a cataphatic way or apophatic way, right? And I started thinking like, all right, so my wife um, is loving. So I, I could say she's affectionate, right? So cataphatically, I'll say my wife is affectionate. What would be an apophatic way to, to speak of her? I would say, well, she, she isn't af- affectionate. She is, she's affection, you know? Like, that's, that's pretty romantic, you know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna... <laughs> she's not affectionate. She is affection. She's not the thing that I'm saying. She is this, right? It broadens, it broadens the, the view. Um, I, Alex and I got a chance to go to the Philippines pre-pandemic. I think it was 2017, 18. We visited this place called uh, the Twin Lagoons. I brought a picture, and I don't think there was any pictures on the internet that would do it justice, or, or any of the ones that we captured. Gil, Gil's queuing it up. But I remember um, them taking us on a boat, right? And 
them dropping us off in this place. There was other boats there. And he's like, you're going to swim under this rock. And then you're going to enter the lagoon. And you just hang out for as long as you want, right? And I go, it sounds, sounds boring, but let's go do this. And I remember just swimming up. And I remember literally crying. Like, I remember feeling so overwhelmed by God and feeling, mm, and I remember even thinking the thought that says, God is not what I thought, you know? God is not what I could conceive. Um, it's much, much larger. And that's, and that's just a picture of, of, a, of, a, of a thing, you know? These, it was just us. It was, it was just us and nature. You could see the bottom of the floor. And I was having an apophatic, uh, apophatic experience. And, and that was my way of, of, of telling that story. And the be- beautiful thing about stories is that everything has a story. Everyone has a story. And you can dig into that at any time, right? I talked about being authentic to where I am. My faith journey right now is in the deconstruction phase. Deconstruction is this easy term to critically think through where I am in my, in my faith journey and take what, um, what I think has expired and bring back what I think is good. And I, uh, Th- Thessalonians actually speaks about it as, as testing all things, keeping what's good. And this also helps me stay away from statements like, I've always done it like that, um, so that's how I'm going to do it, or that's the way it has to be done, or God can only be blank. Why do we speak about God's word like, like it's not alive, you know? Um, the living word. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, the word is more than alive. It's active. And there's a bunch of cool, cool metaphors that come after that, right? It talks about it being like a double-edged sword, dividing the soul and spirit, bone and marrow, um, judging the attitudes of the heart. Critically thinking... Um, critically thinking, it, it takes a little bit of work. If you think about uh, dealing with something that is deceased and something that's alive, and even in people, um, it should be a little bit different, right? Uh, how I deal with, how I think about and speak about my deceased grandfather should be different than how I speak and deal and live with uh, and deal with my and get to know my living mom. Right? And if we truly believe that the, le- the word is living, there should, be a, there should be a difference. It's much more difficult to speak and spend time and get to know something that is alive than it is to remember something that has passed. Uh, when talking about something living, we have to leave room to be surprised, I think. Right? Um, and the, the word should do that. I think it, it surprised me. I've read it. It's changed um, Sam said something cool yesterday when we were talking this through. He was like, stories change because you change and you grow. Um, it could be the same story you've told growing up. It could mean a different thing later. You might have got in a larger context. You might have uh, met another person that changed that. But the word being living should, should move us a certain way. You can understand it. You can understand why it's written, what inspired it. You can study the words, the etymology, and the language. Or you can take it in totality including the art and the metaphorical meaning and allow it to help shape your thinking and influence your life right now. So neither are the only or the right way, neither are the wrong way. Both are useful and important. And this is actually the nuance of understanding and storytelling. So story time. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke 15, 11 through 24. This is a very famous parable of the prodigal son, the lost son. Um, the product, prodigal means extravagantly wasteful, which I thought was awesome, right? And the, I mean, in the definition of 
the of prodigal in the in Google. It said it gave an example of a prodigal amount of whipped cream. Imagine ordering like ordering it like that at Starbucks. Like I would like a prodigal amount of chocolate, <laughs> please. Okay. 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. Oh, I closed it. Sorry. So I get for technology. Mm, where was I? Uh, 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for his son. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Um, beautiful, right? Uh, I think it has it has the settings of, of, of drama. We, I, I started writing a little bit of uh, what's going on here. Prodigal son, setting, dad's house, or wherever the son went to squander. Uh, characters, dad and younger son. And I left this kind of blank because I want to I wanna play a little bit. Um, so I would, off the top, uh, you guys can just splurt out. We've heard this story a million times, what we think the story is about, right? I'm going to start. Uh, God's love. And go ahead. If you have anything different, I'm going to keep on going. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Anything else? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Agreed. That's actually supposed to be in theme. All right, sorry. We know the conflict. Um, Redemption. Redemption of a loving father. All right. Perfect. And we could probably go on from there. But uh, let's continue this story. We're going to move into Luke 15:25. We introduce a new character. Um, and this could be a bit of an inciting incident. It happened twice already. If you didn't pick it up, I'm giving you guys tools. You guys take home. Take, you're welcome. Um, Luke 15, 25 to 31, the introduction of the brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because 
he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when, his son of your, when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Ooh, and scene. It's interesting. Something, something happened here, um, at least for me. When I was reading the story and my whole life I've read it up to chapter, verse 24, it was a redemption story about the younger son, right? And then you start to read it and it continues and there's this older son that gets introduced and this story changes a little bit, right? It's no longer um, how God receives anything we do and takes us back no matter what. It's, it's giving uh, insight into two different people, two different ways of living, one being good and one being bad. And the, the father, uh, how the father sees that, right? So there's a couple things to pay attention to. Um, one thing I noticed, they're, they're, they're talking in these weird, like, the older brother's like, you didn't even give me a goat. Uh, you know, like, I could, <laughs> but you gave him the big cow, right? And so in context, the fattened calf was something that was like a once in a lifetime thing, a celebration. The village would have been there. A tribe would have been there. This is the inheritance, right? Um, uh, the, the older brother, he, when, when he heard the music, he found out um, that the servant killed, that the, the dad killed the fattened calf. Um, the older brother doesn't call the dad father anymore. Doesn't even address him as his dad. Because that was a, a very normal thing to do, especially if you're the good brother. Um, he doesn't even call his brother his brother. He, calls, he says to the dad, he says, that's your son, you know? Um, so there's this uh, high disconnect of um, somebody that was supposed to be good and is now disconnecting himself from the father. It sounds familiar. Sounds like us. Sounds like us running from God. Me. I'm just going to speak to myself because everybody here is good. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's upset that he was good. And, then the, and the brother that squandered it all, the bad one, gets the party. The father is gracious and reminds him that everything he has is his, which would be true as far as inheritance goes because he's the eldest and the split already happened. And just as we're ready for the resolution, just as we're ready for the Disney ending, the parable ends. So what is the full story saying? How could we use the tools of apophatic and cap- cataphatic language to deeper understand the characters, the relationship? Um, we might say something like the younger brother is remorseful but he's not a saint. The older brother was perfect, but not gracious. See, there's a ways to broaden their, their character. Um, we see, do we see ourselves in the character? Which character do you relate yourself to? For me, I'm the older brother, easy. Uh, literally and figuratively, my mom adopted a younger brother when I was in fifth grade. I remember telling my mom stories about like, why does he get that? I'm your son. And, and it's cringy to think about, but I remember thinking that. And my, my brother and I used to bump heads, fist fight every other day. And I remember thinking, I'm the good one. He's riding on everything, stealing. He's not your son. Um, I'm it. Like, why don't I get that? Why is he here? You know? Um, and in retrospect, what was I saying? You know, like that if I do good, I deserve this. And this is how we deal with God, right? Um, the story in totality, 
through nuance and dissection, told me this is not only a redemptive story about the father, but also that both sons, both sons were using the father for what he had, not loving him for what, who he was. Um, one did it by being good. One did it by being bad. Both were undeserving. But it's weird because if you would have heard this parable in Jesus' day, you would have been freaked out because it, it would have sounded like you're saying the lover of prostitutes gets the reward and then the story ends. That's what it would sound like to them because like, it would be blasphemy in a sense because the God that they receive is you earn your way to heaven and this is a lot of our thinking today. Um, the theme in the totality isn't that God wants good people, it's that he wants new people. As, as, as Tim Keller put it, Sam did a really awesome, has been doing an awesome job with Genesis, and I've been getting so much from it because he's been teaching us like the ancient history of it, why it's written. It's, he's been teaching us um, to go back and understand it as it was written so we can take it and move it forward, right? And I think there's a, there's a beautiful thing when we hear a story and we know why. You know, like uh, Alex's family tells these, these stories about something that happened, and I love to hear, like, why did that happen before I learned, uh, before I could t- turn it and take it to my own story? Because I've, I've taken you guys' stories and turned my own stories, and that's what happens. Um, in closing, the other day I went to, oh, it was Sunday when the church was closed. I went to a coffee shop instead of coming here because church was closed. And I was sitting there, and I, I watched a guy slip on a little puddle of water. It was like a little dot of water, right? And uh, he slipped, and he didn't fall. But the, the lady that was working there saw him slip and was like, hmm. And I was like, easy. She's going to go get a rag and clean it up. Instead, she grabs a, a caution sign, puts it on top of a little drop of water this big that's <laughs> smeared, and then goes back to work, right? Which was very interesting to me. I, I sat and watched it for a little bit because I was like, oh, maybe she's in doing something. But they just get back to talking, and there's nothing. Um, and end of parable, right? And what that, <laughs> what that told me was, was interesting. Like, I think we do that in our faith, right? We see... A, a warning of, of danger, and we might even see others affected by it, and instead we throw a sign on top. We say that, uh, be careful. Um, you might fall. We might post an Instagram and say, you, stop being judgmental, um, but we never like address the mess. You know what I mean? We never address the, the root of what we're dealing with, and instead this manifests into all kinds of junk, all kinds of mess in our life. Um, it comes out in the, the messiest of ways, right? I remember reading this book, uh, called The Artist's Way, Julia Cameron. And it has all these, these activities you can do as an artist, and it's supposed to free you up creatively so you don't deal with writer's block and so forth. And I, there's two non-negotiables in there, activities-wise. One is this thing called morning pages, which is, bench, uh, is essentially three pages full hand every day. So I was put, just put it by the toilet, and I just knock it out as big as I can get. And uh, the other one is this artist's date. Artist date is taking yourself on a date um, wherever you want by yourself. Don't invite nobody. Go to a thrift shop. Go to a movie by yourself. Go to a museum. Just get re-inspired. But the, uh, the morning pages was interesting. She said something like, um, the reason why you do that, the reason why you write, the reason why you, you get out the story, the junk in the morning, is so that it doesn't come out on the freeway or with your kids or with your spouse. Um, she, he's, she's addressing a mess uh, inside of us, essentially. She's uh, addressing a, a drop of something that 
we can't figure out why we keep falling, why we keep uh, making a mess in our house. And I think that's, that, that was kind of profound to me when I saw a little drop of water. So I was talking about the improv game earlier. And it's yes and also. And I said, I, I wrote a closing statement here. What happens when we say yes and also maybe this? Or yes and I see where you at. I see where you are and I'll meet you there. Rather than my opinion uh, matters and that's how it should be done and that's it. And I hope you enjoyed Storytelling 101. And I'm going to pray us out now. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the clap. Um, <laughs> Father, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, I'm not begging. I'm not begging. All right. Uh, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, allowing Sam and Kareen to rest. Thank you, Sam and Kareen, for resting. I, I know it's for us. Um, thank you for trusting me with the message this morning. God, we ask that you just um, let it... Let something resonate in the spirit and we can take out into the world. Continue to use me and use us as a community. Uh, we do pray for Rick's mom, Susan, who's passed. Um, we pray for the family and for healing. Um, we've, I've been praying for my friend, Danielle, who is dealing with a, a tumor currently. Pray for healing his body, for our cousin, Alec, who's dealing with, who's been dealing with a surgery here shortly. Um, God, that we pray for healing over our community, um, that you make us a, a beacon of light in, in Upland and beyond, and you continue to help us grow and move um, towards your will and love. We pray this in the most holy name of Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.